So let's start with uh, where we were. We were talking about exponential growth. in populations. And we said we could describe this as 1 over n dn dt equals some uh, growth rate r, which in, in, in this case, um, we're talking about, well, let me ask that as a question. What, as a model for population growth, what's wrong with this? What does this project? This is n, and this is time. There's, not, there's no stopping it. It's just, I mean, we, we'd be knee deep in, in everything. Um, if, if populations grew according to this model, all right? Because it just goes off into infinity in terms of density. So uh, we know that, that this, is, this is inadequate. In fact, some people describe the entire field of population ecology as a field that's trying to uh, determine why real populations can't grow according to this model. In other words, the whole field is trying to understand what the mechanisms are in populations that um, limit their growth so they don't grow exponentially forever. <clears throat> okay. So, so in this case, this is really a maximum growth rate. We can call that R max. Um, and, and in this case, it's a constant. So when we're talking about exponential growth, the growth rate um, per unit time is, is the maximum growth rate that that population is capable of under those conditions, um, and it's a constant. So if we want to plot it this way, 1 over n dn dt as a function of n is constant. It doesn't change as density changes. Um, so. Now we're going to take a historical look at this. Back in the 1920s, two fellows named Pearl and Reed wanted to model human population growth. And they looked at this exponential growth equation and they said, well, there's got to be something wrong with that. We can't just apply that to humans. although." If they plotted as a function of time, and this is humans in the US from 1800 to 1900, and this is the human population size, if they plotted this on this curve, they got something that looked like this. So it kind of looked like exponential growth. Um, but when they went in and actually looked at 1, one over n dn dt, uh, okay, which would be the slope along here, they found that it looks something like this. 
In other words, the actual growth rate of the population was decreasing as the number of humans increased. And this is called a density-dependent response. Okay, um, so if we look at this, this re remember from last time that R is equal to the birth rate minus the death rate, right? So, oops. So we can look at, uh, this is just a, a, a simple cartoon drawing of what's going on here. Density-dependent factors regulate population um, size. And so if we plot 1 over nd ndt uh, as either a birth rate or a death rate uh, as a function of population density, <clears throat> when you have uh, density, the, really one, the one that's really the most important here is looking at this one, that, that death rate increases as population increases and birth rate decreases. And you have a, a, an intersection here where, where birth rate and death rate are equal, and your population is going to stabilize there, where there'll be no change in population growth. And this, this, these density-dependent birth rates and death rates uh, introduce a stabilizing factor as n increases, r decreases in the population. <clears throat> and that's what brings population back into some sort of equilibrium. Okay, so, all right, get that. Um, so let's go back over to Pearl and Reed. We're going to stay on the board for a while. Um, so the question is, how do we modify that equation, our simple exponential growth equation, so that it more realistically describes real populations that can't grow um, totally unconstrained. And so what Pearl and Reed did how do we modify the exponential growth so want, we want, here's what we want the characteristics to be of this equation. We want 1 over n dn dt to go to 0 as n gets large, and we want it to go to our max, the maximum growth rate, when n approaches zero. In other words, at really, really low population densities, you can effectively have exponential growth because nothing's limiting yet. Um, but when uh, n, the density gets very, very large, you want this growth rate to uh, go to zero. So they came up, um, so let's plot, this is n. This is t, and here's our exponential growth equation. And they came up with a function that looks like this. 
Um, so this would be 1 over n And to describe this, they had this equation. And this is called the logistic equation. For reasons that are historically obscure, uh, logistique, this is a, a French term that has something to do with, anybody know who speaks French? I think it has to do with mil something military. I, I don't know, anyway, I've never been able to figure out why they called this lo logistic equation. But it doesn't matter what it's called, um, this is what it is. And um, K here, The, is the carrying capacity of the environment. It's the maximum number of organisms where the population levels off, okay? All right. So, Let's look at this, let's replot this, uh, because it's easier to analyze the features. This is, we're going to plot, plot 1 over n dn dt as a function of n. If we want to rewrite the equation, 1 over n dn dt equals R max, we're just rearranging that equation to make it easier to visualize. Okay, so now we have a line, and we can put that on this curve, such that K is the x-intercept, and what's this? R max, exactly. So you can see these features over here in this plot, right? Um, so as this goes to zero, or, or as, as n gets very large, 1 over n dn dt goes to zero. And when n is very small, 1 over n dn dt is near r max. You're basically growing. You're, you're over here where the exponential growth curve and the logistic curve are essentially the same. Yep? Do I have something wrong? Is that n over here or k? Oh, very good, very good, very good. Thank you. Absolutely right. Okay. So, and the slope here is going to be minus r max over k. Okay. 
So here we have a nice density dependent response. Okay, let's analyze some, fe some more features of this. Just looking at the exponential and the logistic Just to summarize, 1 over n dn dt as a function of n. And if we just look at dn dt as a function of n, for exponential, we already said that this is a flat line, right? Uh, it's a constant. But the actual change in numbers as a function of time is a straight line. Whereas for the logistic, 1 over n dn dt as a function of n, what does this look like? We just did it, so we're summarizing here. But here's one that I want you to think about. What does dn dt look like? as a function of n if something's growing according to the logistic equation. Hmm? Like this? Yeah, there you go. Like that. Right. It's the, because there's an inflection point here. Right? So this is what's, sometimes called the optimum yield. And believe it or not, this, this, this model was actually used in fisheries conservation uh, for years. Now we know that it's just so much more complicated than that, uh, that you can't just simply model this. But, but one could argue that if you're managing a population that you want to harvest, that you try to keep them at this, the density at which DNDT, the production of organisms, uh, is maximal. So you try to, to maintain a population there at that point. Okay. Um, one of the features of the logistic equation Assume, is that it assumes instantaneous feedback of the density on growth rate. In other words, it says in a population of a certain density, the, the result in terms of offspring will be instantaneous. And we know that in, 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 in we know that's not true. Um, so this is an oversimplification. Even in the simplest organisms, even in microbes in a culture, 
say you suddenly starve them of some substrate that they're using, it takes a while for their biochemistry to readjust before that. They might have one generation that's still at the same growth rate as it was before, before the biochemistry readjusts and, and says, whoa, we can't keep going at this rate, um, slow down. And then for higher organisms, you might have a whole generation before that sets in, uh, plants that make seeds, et cetera. So, so we know that there's a problem here. So people have tried uh, to introduce time lags into the equation. And we don't have time. Uh, I mean, there's lots of really neat things you can do with this. If this was an advanced ecology course, you'd be modeling it on your computers and putting time lags in and see what happens and all that kind of stuff. So we don't have time to do any of that other than I show you this just as more uh, a way, I want you to learn how population ecologists think, not you know that this is actually the, the most important model that, that ever existed. So how do we introduce time lags into the logistic? Well, the simplest way is to introduce time. So we're going to say dn at some time t dt dt. Just let me just make sure that's not ambiguous. Um, dn at some time t dt is equal to r max times n at that time t times k minus n sub t minus tau. In other words, the density at some time, tau, hours or days or whatever, earlier than t, um, divided by k. So what this says is that, that, that the, the, the growth rate of the population is a function of the density a, a little bit earlier, or some, some amount earlier, uh, than the time at which you're measuring the growth rate. So, so t, or tau, is, is the time lag. between sensing environment and change in growth rate. Okay. So, um, so let's look at what that means in terms of this brings us to a, another level of complexity. Um, so let's look at some possibilities here. So with no lag, we have our logistic equation, right? And the, the population just reaches the carrying capacity and levels off. Um, <clears throat> with a very short lag, And of course, you'd have to play with this to, to understand what, what I mean by short and long and medium, because it's all that you have to change all, all the different parameters. Um, but if you have a short lag, what you get is an actual overshoot 
of the carrying capacity in the near term because the population hasn't, hasn't the feedback hasn't kicked in. Uh, but then it will come back and it will level off at the carrying capacity. If you have a medium lag, you often see something like this where you get a couple of oscillations in here, but it levels off at the same carrying capacity. And a long lag, you can end up with behavior that ultimately ends up in the population crashing. <clears throat> and we don't have time to, to, to analyze this, but at the end of the lecture, I'm going to come back to why this is so important uh, in terms of, of human population growth. And for those of you who are interested in complex systems and chaos theory, um, the, the logistic equation in, in its discrete form actually will go chaotic in, for certain parameter values. And for a long time, if, for those of you who don't know what I'm talking about, just ignore me. And for those who are interested, uh, I'll just spend a minute on it. For a long time, ecologists, um, chaos, chaos theory, this equation goes into a state of, of sort of chaotic um, oscillations, and, um, but that are, can be described mathematically. And for a long time, ecologists kept looking at uh, populations trying to see whether indeed they were growing according to, to this chaos theory, and, and it hasn't really developed into anything, but it was interesting. It was one of the first, when chaos theory first uh, started coming to light, this equation was one of the first that people started looking into, coincidentally. Um, but it doesn't, just because an equation has certain properties, it doesn't mean that the thing it's trying to model has those properties. So that was a really interesting uh, development. Okay. So let's go back to Pearl and Reed. Where did they go? Oh, they're up there. Okay. So this was all a digression. From, so Pearl and Reed were looking at the, the human population data uh, and trying to model it. And they, they showed that they had this density-dependent response. They developed this equation in order to describe it. So, and then they, they, they looked at the data again using, using, ah, using this graphical formulation. So let's look at that. And we're just going to use the graphic method because it's easier to illustrate. And now we're looking at the human population in the US. And this is uh, 1 over n dn t. And this is n in millions. And so they had some data points that they put on here. This is uh, 18, the 1800 to 1810. So they, they had data points for different intervals. And their last point here was 1900 to 1910. 
an average of the population size. Uh, and so they projected down here, there were 100 million people then. So they said, so they asked the question, okay, we're modeling this population, we're saying it grows according to the logistic equation, we can predict what's the carrying capacity of the United States for humans by simply doing a regression through this. And, and seeing where it intercepts. So that should be the carrying capacity. Um, and they predicted that we'd have 197 million when we reached the carrying capacity, and that was in the year 2030. So that was the prediction of their model back in the 1920s, that the U.S., the carrying capacity of the U.S. for, for humans was 197 million and that that would be reached in 2030. Well, they missed it by a, a lot. Um, so let's look at some data, which is not surprising. Um, here's some 1965 we reached 200 million way before 2030. Uh, 1990, 250 million. <clears throat> and 205, actually today at 10.45 this morning, because uh, I looked it up in my trusty population clock on the web, we had 295, 979, 238 million people. Uh, this is also done by modeling. We're not counting the people one at a time, but, but this, this website is, is keeping track based on various models. And in 20, based on the models that we have today, in 2030, we should have uh, about 300 and 45 million. But these models are based on something, you know, entirely much more complex now than this simple logistic equation. So, okay. Um, but the contribution, contribution of Pearl and Reed was to begin to get people to start thinking about the feedback mechanisms um, in how to model population growth and, and think about the feedback mechanisms in that modeling. So here's, oh, just the, you don't have this in your handout. Uh, but it's not important. I mean, it's not on the web, but, but if, you, if, you, if you care about it, there's this, uh, the website that keeps, tra keeps, keeps track of the human population in the U.S. So here's that total population number that, I got this morning at 10, oh, it's 10.14 and 17 seconds uh, off the web. And th these are just some interesting statistics for the U.S., and, and I, I have them for the last three years. One birth every eight seconds, one death every thir 13 seconds, one net uh, migrant every 26 seconds, and a net gain of one person every 12 seconds. Uh, so they're keeping close track here. <laughs> uh, okay. 
All right. So now, now we're going to move on to, to, to global population growth. Humans, humans on the Earth, the whole, the whole shoot and match. And um, there's this wonderful book, for anyone who's interested, um, by Joel Cohen called How Many People Can the Earth Support? And it's, it's a great book for MIT students because it's a wonderfully uh, nerdly account. I, I love, I love, I'm a nerd, so I can say that. Um, I'm a total nerd. So, but it, it's, a, it's just a wonderful account, analysis, of how you analyze human population growth. And at the same time, looking at, looking at, at, at the phenomenon in a, in a totally objective you know, way. He's a theoretical ecologist. So, so this, this, this is in your textbook, but it's from, from this book. And it shows from uh, 10,000 BC up to here we are today, the population on Earth in billions. And um, this is back in the hunter-gatherer era. We had four million people. And then this was a, a small revolution at the time. The introduction of agriculture and, and domestication of animals uh, allowed for higher, um, higher birth rates. And so we had a little blip, went up to 7 million here. Uh, and then for a long time, there was just no change on, on, in human population on Earth. Uh, and then uh, here you start to get um, I'm not sure what started this uprise. Maybe when we see the next slide, we'll see. No. Oh. No, I, I'm not sure what started that. I'll have to look into that. Um, this, this, maybe just the accumulation of people that you can't see on this scale. Um, here's the bubonic plague, a decrease. Here's the, the beginning of the Industrial Revolution. Um, and the introduction of modern medicine, which uh, introduced, redu greatly reduced mortality. So you see this, this incredible, and here's fossil fuel, incredible increase in, um, in the population of humans on Earth. So if you look at this curve, you think, oh my God, you know, we're in the middle of this incredible exponential increase. And the, 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 the reality is this doesn't fit at all an exponential model at all. I mean, if you tried to fit that to our simple expon exponential, it, it does not does fit. And we're going to explain what's happening here in a minute. Uh, but so here we are at 6 billion people, and we hit 6 billion in 1999. And here we are um, uh, with a steady increase. I just got the last three years. This sort of marks the, the lectures that I'm giving in this class. Every year I check in and see where we are. Um, it's kind of a living document. And we're now projected to reach 9 billion and level off. When I first started teaching about human population growth, the projections were at 12 billion. So, and, that, and I'm not that old. Uh, so the, this, this number keeps changing. And luckily, it's changing in the right direction. We keep predicting now fewer and fewer humans before it will level off. But it's still 3 billion more humans than we have now. Uh, and many people think now we're already beyond the carrying capacity of the Earth. So I'm not saying not to worry. I'm just saying at least that it's going in the right direction. So, so in, in Cohen's book, he analyzes this, the sort of the history of humans on Earth as having three, uh, four major evolutionary uh, changes uh, where you had a change, a dramatic change in population growth. You have 
local agriculture in 8,000 BC, <coughs> and the doubling time uh, of the population before and after those, those evolutions went from what he estimates to be 40,000 to 300,000 years for a population to double down to 1,000 to 3,000 years for the population to double. In other words, this is an incredibly faster growth rate than, than this, because this is in doubling times. And then with global agriculture in the 1700s, um, again, you had a, a shortening of the doubling time uh, of the population. And then in the 50s, with the introduction of, of a real uh, public health um, across the world, uh, another reduction. And, and luckily, in the 70s, with the introduction of fertility control, at least in the developed countries, is the first time you, you actually see a shift, okay? We've gone from growing faster and faster and faster to actually gr growing more slowly. The doubling time is extending. So the good news is that we're not in some kind of, you know, runaway population growth that is just going to continue forever. Uh, we've already peaked out as a globe, um, and, and we are going to level off in terms of humans. And the big question, the real big question is, when we level off, will we be above the carrying capacity of the Earth? Will we be, have we overshot K? Um, and we don't know it yet, because these feedback mechanisms haven't come back. So, so let's, uh, let's now analyze this a little bit more before we, we look at it in that context, because um, this is an important thing. First of all, before we do that, I want to remind you this, that all of these lectures are tied together, because remember this from, from lecture 20 when we were talking about biogeochemical cycles, and we, we, here's, here's this same population size in billions on Earth, the brown curve. It's smoothed over. And these are the greenhouse gases, concentrations of greenhouse gases in the atmosphere. This is the human footprint. Um, this is how we've changed the metabolism of the Earth um, by, by this explosive growth of humans. Okay. Um, and one more slide just showing you that this is uh, just another way to look at it, showing that the growth of the global population has peaked. Uh, this shows you, in, so over here, uh, each of these is a, the population in billions, and basically shows you the number of years necessary to add a billion. Um, and you can see that it's taking longer and longer to add a billion. You can see that this is, there's an inflection point here. So what, get, using the, the, the tools that we've developed to analyze populations, let's look at what's, why these, this, this growth is leveling off. What caused the growth to begin with and why it's leveling off? Um, and the important, really important feature here is what's called a demographic transition. This is what we're going through um, on the Earth right now in terms of human population growth. And the way we, we look at this, these are, we're plotting birth rate here, which is a, the pink one, and death rate here, which is the, the green one. And 
When birth rates and death rates are both uniformly high, um, which is the way it was back in the early days, uh, when we didn't, have we didn't have fertility control and we didn't have modern medicine, so you had a lot of babies and a lot of people dying. Uh, and growth rate, and so this is, this is the total population. So you don't have uh, much population growth. Then what happens, you get, to the, you get to a place where you have a very high birth rate. Birth rate continues to stay high, but with the introduction of public health and modern medicine, we were able to, to keep people alive a lot longer. Um, and and that, that came in advance of fertility control. So what happens when these two curves deviate from one another, you have explosive growth. And that's what, that's what this big exponential sh sh shoot is. But then, if you then reduce the birth rates through fertility control uh, to match the death rates, you then have low birth rates and low death rates, then you have uh, no population growth, okay? So it's, it's, uh, it's very simple and intuitive, but I don't think that, when you understand what, what's going on, but I don't think most people really um, ha have come to, the, to the, the point of thinking about it like that. And where we are on Earth today is that the, developing, the developed countries have gone through their demographic transition. Um, I mean, and, and you can, you have a sense of that just from looking at family size uh, in these countries. So if we look at, this is Sweden, as an example of a developed country. Um, and this was 1800, and this is 2000. You see something like this. I mean, this is just a, a approximation, but um, this is the birth rate, and this is the death rate, and the population growth rate looks something like this. The population's leveled off. <clears throat> Whereas if you look at a country like Egypt, over this same time frame, and you can get these, these uh, curves off the web easily. Uh, it looks something like this. You have a high birth rate, and death rate has gone down, but they're not matching each other at all, so population looks something like this, hasn't even begun to level off. So, so the real trick is, um, in terms of, of trying to level off at some place lower than that 9 billion, uh, is, is to get the uh, birth rates in the developing countries uh, to drop as fast as we can. And that will determine the level at which humans will, will, will level off on Earth. Okay, um, so let's just briefly talk, let me go back over here, and let's talk about this carrying capacity. And this is basically what Joel Cohen's book is about, where he says, how many people can the Earth support? 
he's asking, what's the carrying capacity of the Earth for humans? And uh, here are the possibilities. And of course, I'm simplifying the most complex system <laughs> that we know into a simple two-dimensional graph. Uh, but it's a, I think it's a good way to think about it. Um, here's the way we've been living on Earth. And um, this is, we have been growing like this, OK? Uh, granted, we're, we're starting to level off. But we've been growing like this. And what we've been assuming is that the carrying capacity will grow with us, OK? It doesn't matter. We can, we can handle as many humans as we want to put because we, we, we smart people um, with technology can increase the carrying capacity. You know, if, the, if we don't have enough grain, we'll genetically engineer it to make more grain. You know, if we don't, we'll, we, can, we can fix it, we can fix it. So let's just go with the flow. Um, and indeed, technology has greatly increased the carrying capacity of the Earth for humans. There's no doubt about it. But there's, there's got to be a limit. So is this the model that we want to go, go by? Um, and some people argue, you know, so the climate, you know, warms, we'll fix that with technology. We, we can fix any of this with technology. And if, all, if, if things get really bad, we'll go to Mars. We'll terraform Mars. Uh, we'll, we'll colonize planets. And I, 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 I don't, that's not that far-fetched. So why, do we, why should we worry about all these humans on the Earth? We'll just figure out, you know, We'll go out and find new places. Uh, so that's one model. Another model is that we're going to do this. Here's the optimistic, what I call the optimistic model. Well, I guess, you, I guess this is the, the supra-optimistic model. Um, this one assumes that it'll, it'll do something like this, that we may overshoot. Um, but then, and then birth rates and if you want to, you can easily um, describe a scenario that says that we have overshot that all of these things that this whole environmental movement the the, the, the the measurement of toxins in our environment, the global change. All of that is really overshooting the carrying capacity. Um, and, and we wouldn't be worrying about things that we're worrying about if we hadn't overshot it. Uh, but that if we get our act together, we won't have eroded the Earth's natural um, systems so much that we can't come back to a stable level. And then, of course, the pessimistic scenario is that, that indeed we've overshot. And we've overshot so much that we have over, um, we have eroded the carrying capacity. And that we will level off at some level that is, that, that, that the Earth will no longer be able to support the level of humans that it can even support now that we will have degraded, we have lost so much topsoil um, that, and, and modern agriculture won't be able to, to, to 
to overcome that, uh, that our water will be polluted, that the climate will change so dramatically, you know, the fisheries will be eliminated, yada, yada, yada. Um, I shouldn't say yada, yada, yada. Those are <laughs> catastrophic things. <laughs> Erase that from the tape. Uh, every once in a while, I remember I'm, I'm being taped. Because um, so those are bad things. Not, 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 not to be yada, yada, yada. Uh, <laughs> so anyway, this is, uh, this is what some people are worried about, that we are indeed right now in your lifetime, and in fact, mostly in your lifetime, you're inheriting this. Um, notice the time frames on this graph. I mean, it's really, it's really, uh, whoops, oops. I mean, it's, this, is, this is just this little snippet of time in the history of, of life on Earth, where all these dramatic things are happening, um, and we just happen to be living in it. Uh, and just think if you were living back here, I mean, you know, thousands and thousands of years went by and nothing changed. Okay, so we don't have any answers, but this is a way to think about it, and a lot of people are putting a lot of energy into um, modeling these systems and trying to figure out where we are on these various trajectories. So the next two lectures, Professor Martin Poltz, who's a professor in civil and environmental engineering and a, and a microbiologist, is going to come and talk to you about, uh, again, it's population ecology. He'll talk to you about population genetics and some really exciting work that's going on in the field now in, um, in um, using genomics to decipher evolution and, and population biology. And then I'll be back with some really neat, really neat DVD clips. So come back. <laughs>